the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. My name is Johnny Baker. Uh, I'm a member here. I'm also part of the leadership team, and it's my privilege to speak this morning uh, to you. How good was last Sunday? Yes. Uh, Last Sunday was incredible, wasn't it? Seven people stood up here and told the world how brilliant Jesus is. And it was amazing. If we could have Baptism Sunday every week, we would, wouldn't we? Um, I would just like to defer to last week and sit down. And I won't. Um, It was great. However, one thing happened last Sunday. It's already been alluded to. That was bang out of line and uh, needs to be addressed. Uh, Someone forgot to check the family calendar. um, And someone said this last week, I think. They said, for those of you who know my surname... May I quickly reassure you that I won't talk for too long or tell any bad jokes? <laughs> Thank you, son. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Some, Gemma said something to me after the service. She said, Gemma said, it's not only that people laughed, they actually clapped. <laughs> um, cool. um, full disclosure, uh, never mind bad, I'm going to tell one horrific joke this morning. Uh, seriously, and I might go on for a bit. Honestly, uh, not too long, but I might go on for a bit. Here's why I'm going to go on for a bit. Because the passage we're looking at this morning is big, but more importantly being big, it is beautiful. We're about to read some stunning, stunning words. And um, if I preach this correctly this morning, at some point, before you leave this building this morning, or if you're online, uh, you're going to turn to someone and say this. You're going to go, isn't Jesus awesome? If we do this well, that's what we're going to say this morning. We are back in John's Gospel, uh, following our Together series, following Baptism Sunday, and we're diving straight back into this this Come and See series. Uh, We're doing it periodically, we're ploughing our way through John's Gospel, and this morning we're in chapter 4. Now I reckon, I know every week in this building there's people who've been followers of Jesus for 70 years, there's people who have been followers of Jesus for two minutes, and there's people who haven't been, aren't followers of Jesus. All those people are welcome here. But just to give you a bit of context, if you're brand new to Christianity, if you've walked into a church or are tuning in online this morning, uh, the New Testament is the second part of the Bible, and it starts with four books, which are called Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell us about Jesus' life on earth, they tell us about his death and his resurrection, and John uh, the author of the book that we're looking at for these, uh, this time, he was Jesus' best friend while he's on earth. And 90% of John's gospel it is unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are known as the synoptic gospels uh, because they can be, that's synoptic, seen together. They're similar, uh, but John's gospel's different. We learn things in John's gospel that we wouldn't know unless Jesus' best friend had told us. And John's gospel is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. John saw these things with his own eyes. He heard these things with his, with his ears. And the striking thing about John's gospel, if you read it, and, and we're going to try and work our way through it, is the number of one-to-one interactions you get in the gospel. We're on chapter four. There's already been in chapter one, uh, Nathaniel, uh, a skeptical Nathaniel having a one-to-one with Jesus. In chapter two, there's a wedding and Jesus' Mother's bewildered and is having a one-to-one with him. In chapter 3, you might remember a few weeks ago, we met Nicodemus, this wealthy, powerful, rich uh, insider who has a one-to-one conversation uh, with Jesus. And this morning, we are going to eavesdrop in on the longest one-to-one conversation that Jesus has recorded anywhere in the Bible. 
Now, John helped us when we were in our All Together series look at this passage, uh, but we're going to do a little bit more digging into it this morning. Uh, Why are we doing that? Well, because outside of the death and resurrection narrative, this is one of, or might even be, in my opinion, the most significant encounter in John's Gospel. Now, by the end of this, you may not agree with that. You may just think that's nonsense. But here's what we're all going to agree on, my hope and prayer is. We're all going to agree that what we see and hear in John 4 is brilliant. We are going to see the unrivaled, breathtaking brilliance of the Lord Jesus, and we're going to turn to people and go, isn't Jesus awesome? So strap in. Anna's going to come and read the passage to us now. I'm going to just rearrange some furniture up here while Anna does it, but we'll put the passage on screen. We're going to read John 4, 3 to 29, and then 39 to 42. Here you go, Anna. Um, I'll put it on screen, you can track it, um, but keep it open in front of you as well if you've got it or scroll to it. This is significant stuff. Thanks, Anna. Nice. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to get food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship with the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? 
Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Just moving on to 39-42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thanks, Anna. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can read that together this morning. Uh, We can watch online if we are. Thank you that we can gather together to look at this. Father, help us to understand just a little bit more how rich and deep this story is. And help us to understand just how awesome Jesus is. Amen. Uh, Three things this morning. The encounter that shouldn't have happened. The encounter that revealed everything. And the encounter that changed everything. Uh, If John 3 is about Jesus' encounter with the very, very best of society, then John 4 is an encounter with what society would perceive as the very, very worst. And John 3 was ultimately about um, how you can get into the kingdom of heaven. If you remember that, uh, Nicodemus thinks, I'm powerful, I'm the big guy, I can get in. And Jesus goes, no, 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 it's not about what you do. You've got to be born again. And you can't do that. It's only something that I can do. So this was about um, how, how we could enter the kingdom of heaven. And this morning, well, if Nicodemus was struggling, then who on earth can? And we're going to meet uh, this woman here. Now, in the 21st century, what we've just read probably doesn't feel particularly significant, does it? Man has conversation with woman. <laughs> That's pretty an ordinary fare, we'd see. Back in the first century, um, that would have been unbelievably significant. You have to know the context uh, if you have 21st century ears here. Because this one-to-one conversation that Jesus has with this woman, um, it really shouldn't happen. It really, really shouldn't happen. Here's, I could give you lots of reasons. I'll give you four reasons why it shouldn't happen. Here's the first one. There's an ethnic reason it shouldn't happen. Uh, verse 9, we learn from the woman herself, and then John helpfully gives us a, a little bit of context. It says this, verse 9. Um, Jesus says, uh, no, sorry, the woman says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then, just to make it really clear in brackets, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Thanks very much, John. That's really helpful. Uh, Now, some of you may, even if it's your first time, you may know the story of the Good Samaritan, but you may not know the context of of why do Jews and Samaritans hate each other? Why is it like Exeter City and Plymouth Argyle, or or much more severe than that? Well, centuries before this encounter in the Old Testament, most of the Jews were exiled to Babylon by their conquerors. Some of the Jews stayed behind, and they intermarried with other Canaanites, And essentially, they formed a new tribe. That new tribe is called the Samaritans. And they took parts of the Jewish religion. They took parts of the Canaanite religion. And they kind of merged the two. If I've lost you at this point, um, if you are a Harry Potter fan, think about how some people view mudbloods. It's that kind of idea. There's an ethnic reason why this conversation shouldn't happen. But there's another reason in that verse, isn't there? Why this encounter shouldn't happen. Jews don't associate with Samaritan. And also, it's not just the fact that it's a Jewish man. It, it's not just the fact that it's a, Jewish, uh, a Jew and a Samaritan. It's the fact that he's speaking to a woman. Back then, it was scandalous 
for a Jewish man to speak to any strange woman in public, let alone a Samaritan woman. But there's an added subtlety in this encounter, uh, which you need to know, and it's this. It's, it's the well. Do you like my well, by the way? It's very nice, isn't it? Um, the well is really significant um, in this passage, and you need to know the biblical significance of a well. It, it's well important. I told, I told you, that is the worst ever, isn't it? Um, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm, forgive me if I've got this wrong and we have, an abs, we have a theologian of Old Testament biblical wells, but I'm guessing it's not our mastermind subject. But here's what you need to know about what goes on at a well. Um, so in the Old Testament, uh, if we read Genesis 24, it's a scene at a well where we first meet Rebecca, who is Isaac's wife-to-be. If you move on a few pages into Genesis 29... Jacob meets his first love, Rachel, at a well. If you go on to the next few pages along there, Exodus 2, you'll never guess where Moses meets his wife, Zipporah. At a well. In the Bible, wells are really significant places. Why? They are romantic places. They are the equivalent of singles bars today. And people met at wells, and they often met the one that would become their wife. Jesus is meeting this lady in this place. If this, is a holiday, if this is a Hollywood film, you've just got to know that Ed Sheeran's Perfect is playing in the background. This is set up, or some other soppy romantic music, to set this scene. Jesus is putting himself in a very, very compromising position. He's speaking to a Samaritan. Uh, 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 no, don't do that. He's speaking to a woman. He's speaking to a Samaritan woman at a place he really shouldn't speak to her. This is, this is not good. This shouldn't really happen. It also shouldn't really happen because of geographical reasons as well. Um, Right at the start of the passage, we learn that Jesus is on the move. He left Judea, verse 3, and went back to Galilee once more. Verse 4 then says he had to go through Samaria. Pause a second there. That's not necessarily true from a geographical point. it's It's true. What I mean by that is we know that Jews and Samaritans, from an ethnic perspective, they didn't hang around together. They would just avoid each other. Often if a Jew had to go that way, they would take a detour at great expense to go round Samaria and avoid the Samaritans. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because this encounter had to happen. It absolutely had to happen. There's an ethnic issue, there's a gender issue, there's a geographic issue. But on top of that, there's another issue as well. And... Some would say this encounter shouldn't have happened because of cultural reasons as well. It's not just the fact she's a Samaritan. It's not just the fact she's a woman. It's not just the fact that Jesus should technically have gone around to avoid this area. There are cultural reasons too. Now, the woman doesn't reveal anything to her about it. I don't like the fact we don't know her name. That just upsets me. That's a side point. But we don't know anything about her at this point. Um, But we do learn her history, but not from her. We learn her history from Jesus. And what do we learn about this lady's history? She's damaged. She's really, really damaged. Verse 17 and 18. Uh, Jesus just asked her to go and get her husband. She replies, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I wonder what that feels like just to have your life said in front of you without sharing that. Can I just say something really important about this, though? Right here, we're going to stop this right now. Please do not assume that this lady was sexually immoral or unfaithful. Do not do that. Divorces in Jesus' day were rare, and we don't know how many of these marriages ended in divorce or death. And divorces that did occur, they were initiated by men. They weren't initiated 
by women. Why am I telling you that? Well, I think we can view this woman as sexually immoral, as unfaithful, as a prostitute. But we don't know that. What we do know is that she has been rejected badly. Really, really badly. She's the entire opposite of this guy. He's been accepted his whole life. She has been rejected. And we know that as well. Another little detail uh, in this. It's not just her marital history. We know that she's rejected. We know that she's been rejected, uh, believe it or not, from verse 6. Because of the time of day. Do you see that? In some versions, if you're looking at it, it talks about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon. And thank you very much. That was deliberate. Alfie, that was brilliant. I just botched it. Um, why, why is that a significant detail? Well, it tells us, doesn't it? It's noon. You don't go and collect water from a well at noon. In the midday sun, you don't do that. Back in those cultures, uh, women would, who would often do a lot of the household chores, they would gather together in the morning. They would all come in the morning when the lights were a bit lower. They'd come and get their water for the well, and then they would go back at home. This lady comes at noon. The middle of the day and she's on her own. What does this tell us about this lady? Well, she is a moral outcast. Her friends aren't there. She probably doesn't have many because of her history. She's an outsider. She's been marginalised even in her own part of society. Now, some of you are probably thinking, Jack's right, get on with it. It's taking too long. The setup's really, really important here for this um, because it tells us so much about Jesus. So much about him. Do you see how radical he is? Do you see that? This, technically, this shouldn't happen. There are racial barriers, there are cultural barriers, there are geographical barriers, there are gender barriers, there are moral, moral barriers, and it shouldn't happen. This shouldn't do. But Jesus, the brilliant Jesus, he crosses all of those divides. Every boundary that society puts up place, he just goes across it. And he connects with this lady. And she is amazed. Now, in the social currency of the day, this guy's worth more than this guy, this lady. But in Jesus' currency, they're all invaluable. They're worth exactly the same. Whether you are Nicodemus or somewhere maybe on this side, whether you are someone who is damaged, I don't know, you might be sat there or you listen online and there's something you think you've done and, and Jesus doesn't love you. He loves you. If Jesus is meeting with this lady, then there's nothing you could have done that would disqualify you from Jesus' love. Please know this, whoever you are, whatever you have done, you are made, created, and loved by the creator of the universe, and Jesus loves you, and he came to earth for you. Isn't Jesus awesome? He crosses every boundary. This encounter shouldn't happen, but it happens. And let's have a look at it. What happens? Because the encounter actually, we'll go a bit quicker, don't panic, reveals everything. Um, uh, Jesus is meeting this lady. He shouldn't have. He meets her at a well at noon in the middle of the day. Uh, in case you missed it, verse 8, uh, Jesus has sent his disciples. They've gone to Tesco Express or Subway. They've gone to get the food. Jesus is on the drinks. Uh, why? Because it's the middle of the day. Understandably, he's very, very tired and he's thirsty. So verse 7, Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Uh, verse 9, uh, the woman basically does that for, for, reason, for reasons that we've just discussed. She's, she doesn't have a, she's staggered. You're talking to me? What, what's going on? She's confused. Uh, verse 10, onwards now, 
Now the revelations of this passage, it starts to unfold and it starts to unfold very quickly. We learn about Jesus and we learn about the woman. Verse 10, Jesus replies, well, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who it is that asked you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. What, what does the woman do? What? She's really confused. She thinks he's speaking literally. He's speaking metaphorically. What is Jesus talking about, this living water? Um, she doesn't understand. Verse 11, 12 basically go, uh, look, mister, you didn't even bring a bucket here. Um, if you want water, you need to go to this well. You don't, there's no magic water around here. She's really, really confused. Jesus, as quite often happens when he's speaking to people who are really, really confused, he doesn't mind, does he? He just carries on. He knows they're not going to get it. Have a look at this, verse 13 and verse 14. Uh, He keeps going. Everyone who drinks this water, he throws a bit of a bone here of literal. If you drink this water, you will be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I'll give you, you'll never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, she's probably still very, very confused, but it's changed, hasn't it? If you look at verse 15, the, the, the confusion is now intrigue. Uh, whatever you're talking about, Jesus, this sounds really, really good, and I want it. What, what, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm in. Uh, uh, now, Jesus says in there, doesn't he? He says, you'll never thirst again. And that's really exciting for this lady. Sadly, I think that um, she still hasn't cottoned on, has she? But she's captured. Sadly, though, I think this image is lost a little bit for us, isn't it? I don't think we're as taken by this image as as this lady is, partly because we're not there, but partly because of where we are. We're in the 21st century, and we're in the UK. Almost everywhere in the UK, you have access to running water, don't you? At the end of this service, we're going to have tea and coffee. We will turn the taps on, and we will refresh you. Please stay. We'd love to get to know you. And it's not even a, a thought for us. Thirst is not really a thing for us, is it? Not really. I'm sure we've probably exercised or something and we've been thirsty, but not in the level that this lady's been. This lady, the woman at the well, she lives in an arid climate next to a desert. She doesn't have running water. So she, the concept of this water is amazing to her because she knows that real thirst is painful. And when I say painful, I mean agony. Because our bodies are made predominantly of, of, contain so much water, to be in profound thirst is to be in absolute agony. And if you're in absolute agony and then you taste water, that's just about as good as it gets, isn't it? I don't think we've probably experienced it. We've been thirsty, but what we call thirst is nothing. But Jesus says to this lady, she says, I've got something for you. I've got something for your soul, which is as important as water is to your body. Something that's going to change your life forever. Now, we still don't know much about this woman at this point. We know that Jesus has come. Verse 10 told us that Jesus has got a gift, and this this gift's going to transform lives. And this gift's going to mean we're never going to need to be thirsty again, not physically, but but inwardly. But for this, let's just pause and ask this question. Let's go right to us now. What would make you happy right now? Or can I rephrase that? What would give you a satisfying life. Now, I haven't, I'd love to like, switch to Vox Pops from Exeter Town Centre now and ask loads of people what that answer I haven't done that, run out of time. Um, if we did that extensively, uh, I'm going to put some words on a screen that I think we would see the ans- answers that we see. Maybe not literally, but I think we'd see answers like this. What would make 
me happy. And uh, do you know what's in common with all those eight things there? Uh, the four on the right, I don't think we'd hear said, but I think that's what many people crave, is that they're all outward, aren't they? They're outward things. Love, money, career, friendship, power, control, influence, security. Now, most of us in this world, we don't have all those things. Might have some of them, but we don't have all of them. Uh, But there are a few select people in this world who do. And whilst many in this world will aspire to gain these things, uh, what we see time and time again is that the very few who get that, does it satisfy? Well, let's have a look at these. I could pick anyone here. Let's have a look at Boris Becker. I'd won Wimbledon twice, once as the youngest player. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of the movie and pop stars who commit suicide. We have everything and are yet so unhappy. But I had no inner peace. Switch ports, switch uh, across the pond. Uh, Tom Brady, the most successful NFL player of all time. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it's all about. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But I think, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, isn't, this can't be all it's cracked up to be. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I love playing football. And I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of parts about me that I'm trying to find. Switch out of sport. Um, Mick Jagger, what do you say about satisfaction? I can't get it. All the money in the world, all the fame in the world. Um, switch again. Sophia Loren, in an interview, said this, in my life there's an emptiness that is impossible to fill. I'm sure you've seen quotes like those before, and I could do quotes like that all, all morning, but you get the picture. But what often people say is, well, I'd rather have their problems than mine. You've missed the point if you think that. Nicodemus has got the same problem. The woman at the well has got the same problem. I've got the same problem. You've got the same problem. We're all thirsty, but it's not a thing that can quench your thirst. It's a person that can quench your thirst. And the great news for the woman at the well is she's finally talking to him. It's Jesus. We all of us worship. We all chase. We all put our faith and trust in something or someone And if it's not Jesus, then we're going to be thirsty again. Now, verse 16, when they're doing this conversation, aren't they? Sorry, I'm here, aren't they? They're doing this conversation about living water. And then suddenly from nowhere, Jesus just says, doesn't he? Go get your husband. It's like, I'd be a bit confused in that conversation. What's Jesus doing in verse 16? It's not a weird subject change. See what Jesus is doing in verse 16. Have I got it up there? It says, go and call your husband back. It's not a change of subject. What Jesus is doing there is he's exposing what she currently puts her faith and trust in. She was looking for security from men, but they could never provide it. She was looking for a man to give her safety and comfort, but time and time again, they let her down. And they couldn't ultimately provide for her. Do you know what? If there was a number six, seven, eight in the future, they wouldn't do it either. There's only one man who can provide her with that security, that peace, that spring of living water bubbling up, and that's Jesus. If you only remember one thing from this morning, um, please remember this. Only Jesus can quench the thirst within. If this didn't say woman at the well, and if this was you, what would Jesus say in verse 16 To you. What would he say to you? What would he say to me to expose who or what we worship? 
Would he say, go get your boss? Would he say, go get your bank manager? Would he say, go get your pension plan? Go get your phone? Would he say, go get your football team? What would he say? Because we've got to remember that those things there will not satisfy. Only Jesus can quench the thirst that is within. We've got to get to the end of this passage. Um, subsequent verses, I don't have time to, to go in, in detail, but it's, it's a little bit of a game of guess who. Uh, it's a little bit of a game of guess who Jesus is. And the lady gets warmer and warmer. It's a lovely moment. And she's going, I think you're, are you the... And Jesus just cuts the game at the end, doesn't he? She's getting really close. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to, others, to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. Finally, everything's out on the table. We know that this woman's been looking for a security. We know now that this is the... the, Jesus revealed his identity to this lady. I I don't have time to talk about that. That's amazing. Why didn't he... And Jesus is the Messiah. This is the first time in the gospel we hear this. He's the one who's come and he's going to change everything. And just for these last few moments, just look how it changed everything. We didn't read verse 28... Verse 28, then leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the people and said to the people, she left a water jar. She's come in the middle of the day for water and she leaves it. Jesus has literally changed everything. She doesn't care anymore, does she? The water's not interesting. Jesus is who she's she's on about. Verse 29, she delivers the greatest and uh, possibly the greatest and shortest sermon of all time. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And even though she was this outcast, even though people had shunned her, even though she came, uh, came to this well on her own, look what happened. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her life was changed, and she shared the news of Jesus. And you know what? So many other lives were changed as a result of that lady. Who would have ever thought that at the start of that day? Who would have thought that? I mentioned it at the start, but last last week was brilliant. Utterly brilliant. Seven people telling the world how awesome Jesus is. Uh, It was spine-tinglingly incredible as far as I'm concerned. And what they did was exactly what the woman at the well did. Wasn't it? They basically went, I've heard about Jesus. I've encountered Jesus. I'm telling everyone. Here's the question. Um... If the woman at the well was part of the Belmont family today, what would she be up to? Well, I think at the end of this service, she would be on the corner of John Lewis, um, imploring people to find out more about Jesus. That's one thing she's doing. Maybe we're not all that level. But here's some other things that I think she was, she'd be doing. If she was unable to come and she was watching online, I think she'd like this video immediately. If she's in the building and not watching online... She'd probably go home and like all the Belmont live streams there've ever been. Why would she do that? Because she knows that it would mess with the YouTube algorithm and that loads of people around our city would start to see Jesus on their stream. That's what she'd do. As well as liking the content, she'd be sharing the content as well. 
If she was on social media, she'd be posting. She'd be putting Bible verses up there. She would be telling the world how awesome Jesus is. If the woman at the well wasn't very tech savvy in these, these days and she couldn't cope, with, um, couldn't cope with social media but was good enough for WhatsApp, uh, maybe she'd be sorting out her quiz team for the Belmont Christmas quiz. She'd be using that opportunity to bring people into this place who do not know Jesus. She'd be sharing YouTube links. She'd be inviting people to the ECU carol service at the St. James's Park on the... 12th of December. They'd be inviting people to the carol service we have here. Why? Who doesn't like a carol service? Everyone will come to a carol service. The woman at the well would already be thinking and praying about the next Alpha course. Lord Jesus, there's people who need to come and hear about you. Who, who is it? Who do you want me to invite? That's the woman at the well in this family, church family, isn't it? Because she's just completely transformed. I have to finish. Uh, here's the question to finish. This is not the only time that Jesus is thirsty in John's gospel. When's the other time? I'll go and grab it. I'll go and grab it. There's one other moment when Jesus is thirsty in the gospel and it comes right at the end. And it comes when he's on the cross. We see this in John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture will be fulfilled... Jesus said, I am thirsty. It's the only other moment we get that in the gospel. That seems strange, doesn't it? We know that crucifixion led to people experiencing thirst, but I, I don't know. I just, I want to hear, I, I expect to hear kind of my hands, my feet, my feet. Jesus says, I'm, I'm thirsty. What's going on? Well, there's deeper meaning there. Again, as he says, it's, it's scripture be fulfilled But it's deeper than physical thirst. On the cross, Jesus is experiencing the ultimate thirst of abandonment. Not just from his followers who loved him, but in a profound way from God the Father. That's what's going on. Jesus does this so that we don't need to thirst. See that lovely great exchange again. Jesus thirsts so that we don't have to. Jesus takes it for us. He experienced the pain of thirst so we don't have to. Isn't Jesus awesome? Let's not be like Nicodemus. Nicodemus, after his encounter with Jesus, he eventually got there, but he skulked off in the dark, didn't he? He didn't run around and go, I need to tell you about Jesus. He might have done eventually, but he didn't. I wonder if we could be more like the woman at the well. See, this guy here, he he didn't know that, did he? Jesus is worth everything you're afraid of losing. But the woman at the well, she got it. Because only Jesus, only Jesus can quench the thirst within. Let's pray. Banda can come back now as, as we pray. Only Jesus. Heavenly Father, it's only Jesus that can do this. Father, we spend our days looking for other things, putting our head in wells that run dry. Father, please help us look to Jesus. Father, there's, there's nothing else, there's no one else who can quench this thirst. Father, please help us to take the great news of Jesus, isn't he awesome, to this world. We're about that time of year 
when people are a little bit more open, we, we run Christmas programs and there's, there's just opportunities to go, uh, come and hear a little bit about Jesus. Father, takes a bit of courage, but the cross took infinitely more courage. Please help us share the news of Jesus and help people who are searching in the wrong place to know that only Jesus can quench the thirst within. Amen.